from the Pictures Out There studios. Welcome to the Pictures Out There podcast series with Dave Fogelman and Lee Stewart. Pictures Out There ties the future to the present and is a new approach for vision and action toward a better future. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Hello, and welcome again to the podcast series, Pictures Out There. We want to take just a second and briefly review uh, our last podcast. It was the first part of a two-part podcast uh, mini-series, I guess I'd say, on violence, how we can minimize it and end as much of it as possible. We talked last week about uh, some of the sources of violence, presented a picture of violence in our world of water, just to bring you back to that, uh, and asked you to think about situations that come into your daily life where you either de-escalate a potentially violent situation or cycle, uh, or uh, escalate, uh, or provide a proportionate response. So uh, this is our second half of the discussion, and Lee? Thank you, Dave. So here's a vision for you, a picture of the future relating to minimizing or perhaps ending violence. What a wonderful world the future is. What a much better world it is now than it was before. There are no more wars. There's only a minimal amount of physical violence that we do to each other as individuals. People are happier. They also feel less stress, even though they do as much work as they ever did. Isn't it amazing what got the ball rolling? Well, we went back to the basics, the real basics. We finally understood the power of small, everyday things like... Kindness. Like courtesy. Empathy. Forgiveness. Listening. Opening up. All of those being done with sincerity, authenticity, and transparency. We committed to have the courage to display these in our everyday interactions with all people. Now, in the past, we did not always get a great reaction because those things are initially threatening and scary to some people, particularly if they're not used to them. But we were persistent, insisting that those would be the norms for human interaction going forward. And the snowball started to roll downhill. We became forgivers, and we in turn became forgiven. That burden that we so often carry, that stress, the desire to strike back, to get even, the desire to show the other guy what it feels like, just simply went away. That took a bit of time to get used to, but thankfully here in the future, we did. As any change in society must do, we turned to our children to make it permanent. We parented differently. We stopped letting our children bully other children every time. We stopped letting them be mean or cruel or insensitive every time. When that would happen, we would absolutely stop it right there. Right there. No exceptions. We would help them work through what they had done. Help them understand why it wasn't the best choice. And then help them create a better choice, and help them to say, I'm sorry. Then we would let them know that they were forgiven, but with some consequences that would lovingly help them to firm up new behaviors. 
We finally understood the power of communication, of talking and opening up about what we each think and feel. We ensured that listening skills were taught to our children, really taught. We actually have classes in schools about listening skills. We made it an expectation that we listen to each other and listen well. The result has been a deeper understanding of ourselves and of others. We became more empathetic, better communicators, better listeners, quick to forgive and quick to accept the forgiveness of others. And that snowball, that snowball of positivity just got bigger and bigger as it went. It rolled into our public policy. We became aware of all of the violent acts that we were doing to each other every day. The favoritism we had been showing to those who were like us. The tiny or sometimes huge acts of violence that we had perpetrated on those who are different or who we don't understand or who we don't want to listen to, really listen to. This showed up in social violence, economic violence, relationship violence, and so on. We recognized that all of these things do indeed constitute violence. We got to the root cause. We understood that these are the seeds that ultimately turn into crime, murder, war, those things that we have typically called violence. We understood that by the time you try to stop those things, the horse is already out of the barn, it's mad, and it's ready to kick someone. We must begin much sooner when the seeds of violence are first planted. And here in the future, we have. We now understand a sarcastic remark said in jest can lead to someone's feelings getting hurt, can lead to a retort that is meant to even the score, can lead to telling someone else about why that person is mean or unkind or that they shouldn't like them or have anything to do with them. And that can lead to a grudge, which can lead to silence, which can lead to not liking each other's friends, which can lead to not talking to each other's friends, which can lead to, here's what that group of people is like, which can lead to prejudice, which can lead to fear of each other, which can lead to, I'm going to attack them before they attack us. Yes, as remarkable as it initially seemed, we traced virtually all of our ugliness back to each of us as individuals not doing what we should to build bridges of kindness, consideration, and understanding between us and other individuals. By the way, those bridges always get used when we share our pictures of the future with each other. Even when we don't agree with another's picture, we still display kindness, consideration, and understanding to one another. Once we acknowledge that we each have that responsibility as a society, day by day, the myriad forms of violence in our world began to slowly diminish. And the argument a few would use that all of these norms of simple decency were getting back on their freedom and liberty. Freedom and liberty to do what? Hurt other people? Abuse other people? Bully other people? In those situations, the only people losing any real freedom or liberty is the person being hurt, the person being abused or bullied. That argument was always absurd and a ridiculous point of view. 
Finally, we said, no more. And now, what a wonderful, peaceful, loving world it has become. It's not perfect yet, as has always been the case in human societies. There are still those few people who have to test the norms and boundaries of basic human decency that have been set. Will that always be the way? We don't know. But it's getting better every day. Okay, that's our picture. But just as important, what's yours? We better have one together, or some other type of change will happen without us influencing it. And it probably won't be a change that we want. What if this picture could happen in the world? We absolutely believe it could. To start on making this picture a reality really isn't that hard. It's simple to understand, and it's completely actionable at every level, individual, group, society. We can do it with calm and with urgency. We can do it with joy, have fun doing it. So, so what? What difference will it make if we do this picture or a picture like it or not? Why do it? We truly believe that if we create an imaginative, aggressive, and clear picture of our desired future in dealing with all forms of violence, then the world will become a better place faster. We will more quickly agree on where we want to go in dealing with violence as a world community, and we can more effectively figure out how to get there. So, what if we get tired of being nice? What if we get tired of doing three or four nice things every day? Isn't there a quota on such things? Think about it. Sometimes you do nice things, and at the end of a busy, stressful day, you go, I'm done. I'm out of gas. I'm done being nice to people. Well, some folks want to set a limit on how many times in a day they can be decent to other people. I think that's a little bit limited in our thinking because, frankly, the more we are nice, the more nice things return to us. Let's think of it in another way. As Salvor Hardin, a character in Isaac Asimov's wonderful book Foundation, said, quote, Violence is the last refuge of the incompetent, end quote. Well, here are a few footnotes on violence. Fear is the engine for so many of our human problems, and fear is a major source of violence. What does fear do? It impedes our judgment. Fear makes us view the short term and the immediate with a cloudy, murky lens. Fear blinds us to the long-term future and renders us incapable of creating new pictures. And so very much of fear arises from ignorance, whether that ignorance is willful or real. Learning about others who are different from us is the very first step in overcoming fear. And Lee, I think uh, with fear, we would both say from our own experiences that it's always a, a, a life experience to overcome existing fears, but the way life is, new fears can arise. And so once you've overcome a lot of your fears, there can be new ones that show up, and overcoming fear is a practiced habit. And it becomes something that the more you consciously do, the more comfortable you are at doing it and the more you do it. Being afraid keeps us from believing in great and positive possibilities. It keeps us from hoping with confidence. It keeps us from creating a picture of what life could be and moving toward that picture with joy and a smile 
with decisiveness, commitment, and passion. We must be wary of our fear, be aware of our fear, and recognize when we're afraid. We must not let fear win, making us short-sighted or blind, and we must look beyond our fear to imagine and act toward the world that can be. So now, as we do with every segment, we're going to speak to future generations. Here's how we expect you did it, future generations. Here's how we expect that you minimized or perhaps eliminated violence. So one of the things that uh, we believe uh, you all were able to do is that you became very aware that human history had really been a history of violence. The forms of violence had evolved. So when one form of violence was eliminated or minimized, humans unfortunately had an amazingly creative ability to create another form of doing violence to other people. So if you want to think of just the different ways that economic violence has evolved over the years, the form of it has changed throughout the centuries and the millennia, but it's still economic violence. And so we we think one of the things that you all were able to do was to just call that out and say, this is something that we have, as a human society, have never solved. We're going to solve it now. And, And in situations where violence had actually decreased, that really happened when social norms were called out and then enforced. And that's when you have had kind of step improvements in the, the minimization of violence and then had social discipline around that. At any point in time, most of us are aware of the kinds of violence that we can kind of get away with and the kinds where we're going to get in trouble if we do. Our point is to say all of that is inappropriate, shouldn't be done, and needs to be called out. So in terms of what we suspect that you all had to overcome and that you were able to do, we believe that you probably had to change what our egos valued, perhaps from a state of, I'm going to pay that person back. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get ahead of that person. I'm going to be competitive. I think our egos probably evolved to a place where in the future they became, I will stand up for myself by being respectful, by basically saying that these are my limits, these are my boundaries, and I expect the same of you. That's very, very qualitatively and materially different from an eye for an eye thinking. And so that question that, uh, that you all in the future uh, pose to us uh, at the end of these podcasts, that, that's always hard. It's the hardest one to address because you ask us, why was this so hard for you to deal with? We are now at this different place. We have a minimal amount of violence. We understand it. We don't allow it to get started. Why was this so hard for you all to deal with? And I think it, it again, was just difficult to see how much of a merry-go-round human society had always been on. It, because the, the uh, clothes that we were wearing, if you, if you uh, can describe it that way, changed, it was hard for us to see that it was just the same thing. And so you all were able to see that and get all of that to a different place and were able to finally end this ridiculous, absurd cycle of violence that it really is all of human history. So if you're interested in that potential future, the picture that we just painted, here's something that we can do today. Pay attention 
pay close attention regularly, daily, and as a habit, identify situations where you can decrease the likelihood of some type of violence happening. You can do that by either keeping a violent cycle from ever starting, or perhaps by de-escalating a situation that maybe you would not have de-escalated before. We acknowledge this takes a little bit of time, and you may be tempted to think, I can't afford that time, not in that moment. But ask yourself, do you really have anything more important to do? So we talked earlier in this picture that we presented of the importance of simple human kindness and courtesy and respect. Lee, I'd like for you to go ahead and and share a story uh, about the impact and the power of simple daily kindness. This story is about kindnesses given and kindnesses received. I have a cherished lifelong friend. His name is Larry. We think we've been buddies since we were about two years old. At least that's what our mothers have told us. We went to elementary school together, to junior high school and high school together. We even attended the same undergraduate university together. Then, upon graduation from college, we split, geographically at least, moved to different places in the country, but we've always maintained a very close, loving relationship. Eight years ago, my phone rang. I noticed it was my friend Larry, so with great joy and enthusiasm, I answered the call, Larry, how you doing? On the other end of that phone call, I heard weeping, and I heard kind of a choked voice that was my friend's voice say, Lee, my dad died last night. Well, I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken for my friend, and I shared his grief, but I was also heartbroken for myself because I knew his father well. I'd spent a lot of time in their home growing up. He said, the memorial service is going to be next Tuesday. I hope you can come. I said, absolutely, no questions asked. I will be there. So the memorial service occurred. My friend that I hugged departed, went back to our separate lives. Uh, About two or three weeks later, my phone rang on a Friday. I remember it was a Friday because my friend Larry said, Lee, are you doing anything this weekend? I said, no, what's going on? He goes, I know it's asking a lot. But I'm going to go up to my dad's house this weekend, and I'm going to begin the process of going through the stuff so that we can prepare to put the home on the market. I said, absolutely, I'll be there. What time do you want to begin? He says, let's meet at 9 o'clock in the morning. So he had to drive a few hours. I had to drive a few hours. We got up early on a Saturday morning. We made that trip, and we went to his father's house. I should mention here that his father had been living alone for several years. His wife my friend's mother had predeceased him. We'd been working for a couple of hours and eventually made our way into the basement of the home. And in the corner of a basement, there was a fairly good-sized stack of what I will call office-sized boxes, you know, maybe eight or ten inches uh, in length, maybe six to eight inches in depth. My friend said at that moment, I bet you that's my mom and dad's record-keeping system. They were really great and disciplined about keeping tax returns, documentation of that nature, bank statements, etc. We went over, we opened the top of the first box, and inside, filled to the rim of that box, were dozens of those little spiral-bound notebooks that only have a few pieces of paper inside, and they're designed to slip into your breast pocket. 
That's when my friend said, oh, this has got to become some record-keeping system. We opened the first page of the first notebook, and we were astonished to see the following. My friend's father, in his own hand, had drawn a vertical line down the center of every page of the notebook. And to the left of that vertical line, at the top of the column, he had written the words, kindnesses received. To the right of that vertical line, in the right column, the headline said, kindnesses given. My friend and I go, my gosh, what have we discovered here? We began to read the entries. For example, in the column of kindnesses received, one said, Sarah was in the hospital for a couple of days, so our neighbors were kind enough to bring me a nice home-cooked meal. In the column that said, kindness is given. My friend Bob, his car was in the shop, so I gave him a lift to and from work for a few days. Just little life events that had been recognized and captured. We became pretty enthusiastic about tearing into those other boxes, every one of which were full to the top with these notebooks. As we looked through dozens of entries, there was not any time horizon captured, meaning my friend's father had not put at the top of the page, Tuesday, May 18th, 1995. He had not done that. But after we'd examined several, we did realize that he would begin a new notebook at the beginning of every year. So some notebooks would say on page one, January 1st, 1996. That was the only time element. When we discovered that, we were able to put together that he had been keeping this log of kindnesses for 62 years. He was 86 years old when he passed. That means he started doing this as a very young man of 24. What that represented were thousands of entries of little life moments. You might say, well, that's just everyday stuff. Yeah, it's everyday stuff, but how many of us are not aware of or sensitive to the everyday stuff? And actually, What is life beyond an accumulation of everyday stuff? The most moving entry in my friend's father's log about kindnesses had been written when his wife had passed away. She predeceased him by a few years. And as it happens, she died just about a week before the Christmas holiday. All of the other entries and all of the other notebooks had just been kind of cryptic bullet point form. But in this instance, my friend's father had written several pages of gratitude about kindness that his neighbors had given him around that Christmas season. They spent an entire evening with him. They brought him gifts. They spent time with him because they understood he was looking at the first Christmas holiday without his life partner. So he waxed at length eloquently about what that had meant to him. Well, through our tears, we packed every one of those boxes up. We carried them immediately out of the house and into the back of my friend's pickup truck. He was taking those home to share with his two sisters. That occurred on a Saturday. On Sunday, the next day, I went to my local Walgreens store and I went up to the front counter and I said to the sales associate, do you have any of those little notebooks that are designed to fit in your breast pocket? And she goes, yeah, I think so. Why don't you look on aisle five? So I did, and I bought every one that was on the shelf. That day, I began to record kindnesses given and kindnesses received. I've done it now with great discipline for seven or eight years. I do not hold myself accountable to do it on a daily basis. In fact, if it became too burdensome or too onerous, I probably wouldn't do it at all. 
So I do it the way I think my friend's father did it. I think he did it when the Spirit moved him. When I began this, there were more entries in the kindnesses received column than there were in the kindnesses given column. I recognized that. And since then, I've tried my best to balance those books. I try to do as many kindnesses for others as people are doing for me. A picture I would like to share for you is, imagine a world in which we all share everyday kindness. So, we've wanted to show how pictures can paint changes and create energy for a better world on huge social issues, like spirituality and religion, how we treat our physical selves as a society, and minimizing the violence we do to one another. Hopefully, we've made that point effectively. But pictures can help everything, any issue, situation, or opportunity that you have, any of them. At any level, you personally, your relationships, your groups, your teams, your organizations, any level. Next week is all about how to apply the pictures concept to all of those opportunities, your opportunities. It's all about you. Please join us for Pictures Help Everything. And that's our podcast for today. Hope everyone has a good day and a good week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining our podcast today. For more information about Pictures Out There products, services, and communities, or to contact us, please visit us at picturesoutthere.com or reach out to us on Twitter at the handle at PicsOutThere. You can also find us on Facebook. Please join us for our next podcast. We hope you have the day of your dreams.